Assalamualaikum as is the norm, we've brought two topics um, for you today. The first one is about tolerance. Why is tolerance important? What are the golden rules for tolerance? And then in the second hour, starting at around 5.03 p.m., we shall talk about belief in God, um, the concept of belief in God, and why Islam stands out in that arena. Right, uh, gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you, a warm welcome to the uh, Drive Time Show. Oh, well, welcome. It's about to say breakfast show, yeah? You know what? I've been doing a lot of breakfast shows. Yeah, but you're that, not yeah. on breakfast now. You're I'm, I'm drive not, time I'm absolutely show. not. I, it's a lot yeah. of energy, a lot of excitement, <laughs> and two fantastic topics. You're right, Daniel. What brilliant two topics. And, and we couldn't have had two better topics with the current situation that's going on mm. around the world, which we'll delve into. Spot on. But it, it, it is really upsetting, and... You know, even on on Instagram, we're we're asking a question on Instagram, aren't we? As um, you know, what questions do you have about the existence of God? I mean, we can get our listeners to come in and, and join in on that. Mm. But just we delve into it. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. But come on, you know, it, it it is really devastating as to what's going on. Absolutely, and I think that we've chosen this topic, golden rule of tolerance, which we're going to delve into quite mm. soon, I guess. Yeah, tolerance is actually quite relatable to this as well because. We think about it, the situation right now is dire. It's a lot of people are glued onto it um, on their screens of social media. Uh, it's really quite sad. And I'm sure it's just on everyone's mind right now. Everybody's praying about it, following it. And tolerance is important because when you have statements of people who fail to recognize people as human beings, even when you have statements of people who not just civilians, but official candidates saying things like, these are not humans, they should rather be treated like animals. And why do we keep talking about the Palestinians, for example? The, mm. One of the Israeli ministers, uh, ex-ministers, actually said this, that why do you keep asking me about Palestinians? Have you, have you lost your mind? Are you, what's wrong with you? Uh, and this stems from intolerance. The, the idea that you cannot coexist with a certain type of people because... In your view, in your worldview, they are not even people. So, of course, if we can bring the idea of tolerance to the surface, then this can be the beginning of tackling a, a much, much more complex issue. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about this gold rule of tolerance, and, and tolerance means so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. Uh, but we're referring to the golden rule. And there is a there's this thing about being a golden rule. It's the de facto standard. It's what we would follow, what's in the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran has described exactly what are the rules of engagement. And and it's, you know, if you're at war and you want to fight, right, fight. But fight, armies fight. Mm. Get together and have a fight. And whoever wins, wins. Mm. But But don't bring in innocent people who will suffer. Because if my, uh, depending on whose side is fighting, does that mean the innocent people, young children who are born into various families of either side, mm. are they the ones that are creating this problem? No, they're innocent. They just want to live their lives and enjoy themselves. 
So this idea of tolerance, and obviously tolerance being at home as well, having with your siblings, tolerating the yeah. nagging, the shouting. <laughs> but but we're here talking about something a little bit different here, aren't we? Yeah, this, you know, right now it is an upt- upturn, Daniel, as well, because yeah. we have this, unfortunately, th- this crisis going on at the m- very moment, where if we talk about this from an Islamic perspective, I just want to put this out there right mm. from the very beginning, that the, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace be upon him, allowed for there to be a society in which Christians, Jews and Muslims mm. were able to live together. Right. And if we look at early Palestine, this was actually a reality that was almost emulated as well. So we know it's not impossible. It's not impossible to do that. So, yes, the message right now that we are saying is very clear that there are Jews and there are Muslims and there are Christians that are willing to coexist. And this is actually something, there's a lot of grim news on social media. But if you look hard enough, you will also find Christians, Muslims and Jews who are wished to push past their agenda and they are willing to say, no, we don't agree with this. Absolutely. And we don't care what anyone wants to misconstrue out of their own theology. We are trying to say that there is a way forward in which we can live together. And yes, I think the reality is that we are sad to say that it may not be the majority, but it is there. So we're going to focus on that. I would actually say that that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of, a lot of Jews, a lot of Christians, a lot of Muslims who are on the side of sanity, who are on the side of justice, who are on the side of tolerance and, and the side of the Quran, uh, which talks about all of these things. Um, but unfortunately, those voices don't get heard on the media. The media just yeah. uses to pick those voices which which are clickbaits and which can get them easy publicity and uh, and probably more advertising revenue. And to, to the other point that you were making, uh, Imam Zafar, absolutely, not only the the example of Jews, Muslims and, and Christians living peaceful to, peacefully together. Yes, the example was beautifully set up by Prophet Muhammad, but his followers for centuries followed that example. And it was, it was actually Muslim countries and, and Muslim kingdoms where Jews used to find solace and peace and refuge uh, in all those centuries when they were being persecuted by the Christian West. Mm-hmm. The examples uh, that come to mind are that of um, uh, the Muslim Spain, uh, in very much in the heart of Europe, very much in Europe, heart of Europe or not, um, and in the Middle East. So, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, this is all, uh, you know, what we see is uh, is the result of all the political events of the last hundred years. And unfortunately, the situation is is boiling over. And again, just to yeah. just to make yeah. the other point clear, and, and, and you're absolutely right, Imam Zafar as well, and, and, and you, Brother Hanif, also, that, uh, you know, it's it's not right to kill any civilian uh, or to kill any child or to kill any woman, whatever your faith is, yeah. on whichever side of the divide that you look at. But right. for God's sake, be balanced in the coverage that you're giving it in the media. The interesting thing you mentioned that it, was, it says in the Holy Quran, but also if you look at the religions of all the Abrahamic faiths, you know, Judaism, Christianity, it says the same thing, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the value human life, the war of engagement, you know, don't hurt innocent lives, um, value the people who are not usurping, the innocent people, fight against one another. 
Although Islam, uh, through Hazrat Abu Bakr, defines so many more categories of engagement of war, not to take it into the villages, into the towns, and, and even to the point that do not destroy the environment, mm. the wildlife, mm. because afterwards it still needs to be intact. But here we're talking about leveling down, leveling yeah, things. And, and I think um, it is really worrying. And, but also we do need to recognize that we and we have got many friends who are Jewish who come on to this show, Drive Time. We have many friends with our rabbis who join us on the, yeah. on the show and we talk to them. Our heart goes out to everybody. Absolutely. Irrespective of what side you are on, on this Correct. Any human being. And, and having um, what's going on in, in this country where people are making our Jewish brothers and sisters feeling unsafe it is not also right as, as well. Mm. It's, it's wrong too. Two mm. wrongs don't make a right. So, so this is the thing always which we're taught is to... Our motto is love for all and hatred for none. How then can we have those views? And mm. that's why we have so many of our... Um, yeah, guests from all of the different faiths come and join us today. I think I mean we're going to soon go on to the golden principle, and uh, yeah, before we get to it, obviously it is going to be talking about things like justice, yeah. speaking for fairness, and I think that's important because on a spectrum you have to be in the middle, and this is what Islam always commands. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's another verse in the Quran which isn't this golden rule, but that speaks about fighting for the middle way and this is important so there's a there's a there's a there's a phrase that does come to mind with me because we are speaking about tolerance as well is that mm. if you tolerate everything then you also stand for nothing as well yeah. so there has to be a middle way and what this means this doesn't mean that we're advocating for any kind of hatred or injustice like we've already established there are muslims who don't want this there are jews mm. who don't want this there are christians who don't want this but there will always be a faction of people who will try to blur the lines. There will always be a group of people who will want to not negotiate, not want dialogue. And it's in those times where we have to actually put our foot down as well and make our voice heard. So uh, on the one hand, yes, this is absolutely wrong. But the, uh, the, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, for example, has also um, said that we must fight the oppressor. And this, and he, of course, expounded upon the three ways that, first of all, if you can stop it by saying something, if you can make your voice heard, that is a way to do it. If you can stop that person by physically stopping them, that's also a way to do it. And if you cannot do either of those, and I'm sure in the West there's a lot of people that just sit there and feel helpless, then the least you can do is is to tell yourself that this is bad, this is wrong. And what that in this day and age, in, in age means is that when you're on social media and there's a very, very strong propaganda to either pitch you against one side or make you think a certain way, you really have to stay, stay strong and not let your humanity fall away from you. Hmm. Where you get to a point where you almost think that, oh, there's children dying, but they're on the other side, so it's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. You cannot forget your humanity. So this is the struggle that I think we have in the West, that at the very least what we can do is we can say that our form of stopping the oppression is at least by saying that this is wrong. And it doesn't matter where it is, where it happens. Yeah. So this is what, what the first thing. Second thing is, we, Daniel, already know that, and this is a deeper talk. I don't know how much we're going to go into it today. But yes, discussion. This isn't, this isn't just happening today, guys. This has been happening for many, many years now. Negotiations, dead ends, efforts to try and make this work. Who's actually wanting to negotiate? Who isn't? This is all a lot of talk as well. So this, again, where it matters, people need to stand up 
and they need to voice against it, that doesn't mean that they become intolerant. In fact, what Islam suggests is that real tolerance is that we command justice. So you say what is right, what is the truth, not just what's going to please the people. You know, I, I really like what you said there, because when you talk about Islam, how it kind of establishes true peace, it does say that a tolerant society can be built upon the solid foundations of honesty, integrity, respect and unity and justice. And if you have all of those in place, mm. not only from the politician side, but us as individuals as well in our daily routing that we do. So they say charity starts at home, but obviously building honesty, integrity and respect and justice within yourself also then reflects outwardly and then it can carry on. And this is where politicians obviously need to understand this. And then until there isn't any honesty and justice, no solution can ever mm -hmm. prove to be beneficial because that's what you're saying, right? Because it's got to benefit. You've got to come to a conclusion where you've got to benefit. The, the middle ground has to where everyone comes to an agreement. Mm. But at the moment, we're at a stage in this current conflict that no one's willing to listen right now. Yeah. Although the United Nations have come in and said it was not right, but they haven't gone all the way yet. Someone needs to have a level head right now before too much destruction goes on. And we get to a point where we get to a point of no return. And we feel we're there. And my heart bleeds for, for everything that's going on. When I heard the news on the weekend, I promise you tears come out of my eyes mm. because we've always spoken non-stop yeah. about loving our neighbours irrespective of who they are. It doesn't matter what colour skin they are, what religion mm. they are. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. One, human, one human life lost is one too many. Whatever the key, creed, whatever the it's, background. It's important though, Daniel, because, yeah, I mean, there's a hadith of the Prophet Muhammad mm. wasallam is that they helped help the oppressor and the oppressed. And the companions heard this, and of course they understood. Well, we know what it means to help the oppressed. You help them mm. uh, get out of their oppression. Mm. You help them if they need physical help, if they need medical aid, whatever. Mm. You help them however you can. But they asked the Prophet wasallam, how do you help the oppressor? Yeah. And the Prophet wasallam responded by stopping him from the oppression or, or them from the oppression. So when we talk about love, when we talk about help, it's done in the way that's truly needed. It may not seem like the nicest thing at the time for that person. Let's say we do find an oppressor. They're not going to be very happy to receive that kind of help. But it is, in the words of the Prophet ﷺ, that is the correct way to do it. So where we do find an oppressor, and in in a recent it wasn't a press release, but it was actually a sitting that His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, had with uh, a delegation in which he was asked about this current crisis as well. He said, we must not forget that although people like Hamas have committed some atrocities, we must remember that the bigger oppressor at the moment, historically speaking, committing a genocide is the, the Zionist government. And that's why their oppression needs to be stopped. So standing out against this doesn't mean that the Muslims, or they, at least it shouldn't mean that we're attacking Jews, that we're suddenly saying that we, you know Jews should be afraid of us now. That's absolutely not the case. We've just described that there are lots... Of, in fact, the Quran even goes as far to say that they're among the Jews and among the Christians and among even the Muslims, there are those who believe and they do good works and... That they have their reward with their Lord yeah. and they will not fear nor will they grieve. Yeah. So this is something that exists. But 
when it comes to this particular context, as His Holiness has quite clearly explained, there are oppressors that exist and they are the bigger oppressor. So for a Muslim, it is their duty to stand up, first of all, in what they like I said, there's three stages what, what you can do. And in today's Friday sermon, His Holiness said, what we can do at the moment is we can pray about this. We can pray against this. And the Quran actually, quite ironically, does mention the importance of this as well. Because with regards to this land, well, like I said, this is not a battle or a, a problem that's just come around last week. And the Quran says that the golden principle of actually truly being rightful people who live in this land is that it will be a place which will be inherited by truly pious people. And this is actually the, the prerequisite of people who want to live there according to God's promise. So yes, praying, being a good Muslim, which requires you to emulate the practice of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, someone who's happy to coexist yeah. with their brothers and sisters. That is a prerequisite of that. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. No, no, I, yeah. I just wanted to remind yeah. that this is a live show and therefore uh, our listeners are very, very welcome to join in. So the number to call is 0208-687-7878. Once again, 0208-687-7878. And I've done that twice because my producer has reminded me twice. Um, and that you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Right, so... Um, uh, we we are having this this very important discussion, and gentlemen, uh, you know, uh, on the point of of justice, we which is what we want to come to in fair play. We were talking about uh, you know the press and the oppressor, and you know what's what's unfortunately happening in so many different places in the world, not just in the Middle East. In I mean, you look at Europe, what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. I mean, similar sort of a situation. Yeah, unfortunately, that has totally died down in the media now. Now that uh, you know, uh, yeah. and 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 the only headline you see is uh, is that. But uh, you know, a very similar situation there. And unfortunately, the rules have been reversed i heard one very senior anchor saying and i don't want to name him but he said that what so the question he was asking was what is appropriate response to terrorism hmm. well the appropriate response to anything is appropriate response you can you cannot be you cannot be disproportionate you cannot bomb and level entire cities because a few criminals have gone out and uh, and, and 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 unjustly murdered a few other people so i mean it's it's just wrong to do that, there's a level. I think what the kind of question is, and Gamal, you might be able to correct me on this one. If you want to go and rebuke someone and, and tell them and stop them from doing it, you kind of apply just enough until they accept, and yeah. not you don't go too far. Yeah. Uh, because if you go too far and you completely obliterate them or or whatever it is, then they're never going to be able to come back. Because you spoke about how you, can you help the oppressor help the oppressor by we're not going too far mm. until they accept w where they are in their life. Is, is that kind of how it works? Absolutely right. I mean, the, the Quran talks about when it comes to recompense or the Quran speaks about, first of all, yes, that you must take recompense equal to what has been done. But then the Quran also says, however, a reconciliation is the best thing there. So if there is a method that you, whereby you can see and you can measure that this is the best way that they can actually stop doing their wrong, learn their lesson and start doing the right mm. thing, mm. that is the prefer preferential treatment. Although, and, and, and this goes as far as to say that in Muslim in times, if they can, they can also just forgive the person as well. If they think 
that this will bring about a good reformation in that convict. However, of course, if that is not going to work, then that punishment can still go ahead, although it be equal. And then the Quran says, Wala tusrifu, that do not exceed the bounds. This is it. This is the law that we've created for you. Either equal punishment or forgiveness, you cannot exceed this bound. Yeah. Because the other thing, when I was uh, reading the notes, it kind of says that Islam champions supremacy of justice. Supremacy is, is the top. And by way of this golden principle they're talking about, it says here that, um, which is to love and worship God Almighty with complete sincerity and devotion. And then secondly, treat others as you wish to be treated by yourself. I mean, So I, the ultimately right. is, is to worship God Almighty, seek his forgiveness and seek his guidance. And also the coolest thing here is that if you want good for someone else, then you should have it for your brothers and sisters, for others as well, and like yourself. That's a really good rule, right? Uh, yes. Look, at the moment, I, I don't know what Muslims are thinking at the moment, but when, you know, obviously the Jews came out of, after post, let's say, 1940s, there was, a lot had happened to them. Yes, of course. And the world wanted to give them a place of refuge. Yeah. Muslims then and now would and should not have had a problem with that. That's right. that. This is what I'm saying. We see from, and what that basically means is that Muslims will give help to other people even though they themselves, they themselves are in a state of hunger. And we can see, for example, that when the Meccans migrated to Medina, this is in the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the Meccans came from a time of trouble, a time of war, a time of persecution. They came to Medina. The Medinian Muslims, the Medinite Muslims at that time, gave up their homes and their wealth for those people that migrated. And this is what the Palestinians to some degree did as well when the Jews came over as well. Although we know they didn't really have much say in it, but that's what they did. So where did it go wrong? It's, it goes wrong when you change that and the other side or whoever came in changes that from a favor or a, a good deed into trying to then usurp that and take advantage of people. And so this is where things go wrong. So we have to obviously be careful about this situation and how, how we talk about it. So this mm. is where we bring in the golden rule. The Quran, I don't think we've mentioned it so far. It's chapter 4, verse 36. Yes. Oh, you who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah even though it be against yourselves mm. or against parents and kindred. So like you, you said, um, Brother Hanif, it's, mm. it's kind of almost making you very self-aware of your responsibility to uphold justice in a way that's extremely personal. Mm. And this is a beautiful principle. If, and it doesn't, what it requires, though, is for everyone to do this because it can't just be one side trying to do that and the others completely taking advantage of that, that situation. Because then it won't work. And that's why this principle requires one thing and one thing first and foremost. A pious and righteous society that believes in God. Because if you don't have that, people are very, very ready and willing to take advantage of anyone who tries to establish a framework like this. And that's yeah. why I said in the beginning mm. that when you try and establish a framework like this, and there is a chance of someone trying to take advantage of it, then they become the oppressor. And according to the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, at that time, it's not the case of that you become tolerant of that oppression because then you don't stand for anything. At that time, your job is to do what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon you, told you to do in the right way. Yeah. So what we see today, unfortunately, in some degrees, 
for example, we mentioned Hamas, others, it's not reflective of what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught. Absolutely not. And and on the other side also, brothers, uh, uh, my, uh, what really pains me is that Europe has not learned lessons from history. Of course not. Uh, the, after the First World War, there was this infamous treaty called Treaty of Versailles. And that became the cause of the Second World War. That became the cause of the rise of Hitler in Germany because Germany was treated very, very badly in that treaty. There was no justice in that treaty. That's every every single yeah. historian accepts that today. And that became the cause of the Second World War and, and killed many more millions than were killed in the, in the First World War. Unfortunately, no lessons have been learned from that. And we see the same thing happening again now in Europe on, on the eastern side and on, on, on the other side in the Middle East. And, and there are very strong views on either side. I mean, you, when you listen to the radio, other radio stations, people are coming in and trying to justify some of the actions. You think, mm. what? And, and they, they make claim that the media are, are not giving a true picture. It's really difficult. But I think people misunderstand that the job of a media is to report what's going on at the moment. And how they report it, you can see the different channels across, you can on your uh, TV and flick through all the channels. You, everyone got their own view. But there is a distinction between the, what's happening now and how it's being reported, and it incites people to get really upset, really angry. Mm. But what we need to, like what I think we're doing here today, is taking a little bit of a step back and actually trying to understand from another lens mm. of what the teachings of Islam is telling us, that, look, we need to learn, there is a history, and there are ways through. Mm. And and we can have hope. Well, and we will find the solution if we follow these principles of the golden rather rule. Rather, the hope will be in, in human decency. You know, I, I take um, uh, you know, all the points that Imam Zafar was making about, you know, you being a, a righteous society. And, and perhaps, you know, I, 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 you're right. Perhaps human decency is also uh, linked with your righteousness. Of and you can't, you, says, yeah. you, you can't be decent. In the, and which is why we see very famous people around the world uh, uh, posting pictures on Twitter of Palestinian children and putting up captions, you know, Israel at war, and then suddenly realizing somebody saying, oh, these are Palestinian children, and not apologizing, not not saying anything, and just suddenly saying, just changing the picture and saying, oh, we, we, we stand uh, uh, with Israel, just taking a very, very one-sided picture. As I said earlier, you know, a, a, children, a, a, children, a child's life lost, any life lost anywhere, under any circumstances, from any background, is one too many, and it's it's unfortunately um, uh, very very um, very very sad that you know in in today's day and age when you would think that the world is enlightened, that the world is supposed to be very informed, uh, that these things unfortunately are happening. Let me um, uh, let me go uh, to our our guest uh, for this uh, segment now. Uh, who has been um, very patiently uh, waiting for us to uh, to introduce him um, uh, to this topic, to this very important topic that we're talking about, something which is which is all over the the news as well. So this is uh, Imam Musawwar uh, Shakar, who is our Imam in of the Muslim and the Muslim community in Finland. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum assalam, rahmatullah, peace be upon you all as well. Uh, thank you for having me. Jazakallah, thank you very much, uh, Imam Musawar, for joining us. Uh, firstly, um, we're talking about justice, and we're talking about the importance of, of justice, and we're talking about the absence of 
justice in international order in especially in geopolitical politics of today so i guess the the need for tolerance is uh, more than ever um but is tolerance enough in an age of racism all sort of schisms islamophobia um uh, jingoism Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very important question that whether tolerance is enough or not. I mean, we live in a society which first we need to realize is multicultural. It's a global village, so the, it comes to a point where we have to realize that when is too far or when is it enough that we should raise our voice. One thing is tolerating, and on an individual level, we can understand that. But when we go on on the level of uh, governments or international level. we have to understand that uh, you know when uh, indecency or injustice is happening then yes tolerance is 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 um, is a prerequisite of of it but we need to also may understand that we need to also stop the hand of the oppressor and that can only be done in the ways that that you know his holiness as a holy one famous fifth caliph of the omni muslim community has I've been explaining for the past 20 years that we have to be just in our dealings with everyone not not the chosen few whom we prefer or whom we like but justice has to be in it has to be equal uh towards people who towards people who we agree with and the people who we don't agree with mm. and of the world governments or all the factors that play in who can actually make a role in have creating peace have to understand that you know telling one party to be tolerant and to take it every everything in but no one is stopping the oppressor or what is what are we doing to actually stop the oppression of uh, innocent people of innocent lives that are that that we're losing so in a way tolerance is enough but when it becomes when, when it goes over the limit then there has to be we have to uh, look at the key factors of what as international body international governments international peacemakers can do to actually you know stop the oppression from happening or to continue because it, it, it one it becomes such a time that or uh, the oppressor or the or, or it keeps on oppressing or or and and all these injustices keeps on happening uh, and we just say okay well um, we have done this we have done that you know uh, but nothing has actually worked out so then we should actually look at the work the work that has been done or what we are doing and mm. and how we are actually portraying it's so all of this um in light of current situation um uh, which is actually happening uh, the conflict that is happening taking place in uh, in the middle east and all the, all the other conflicts um that can only be done when absolute justice is we 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 uh, you know embrace absolute justice in all our dealings with those we agree with and those we don't agree with as well so that the prerequisites of justice remain the same for every single one and they're not different from from one another um imam musawwir you thank you for that answer i wanted to just ask you something about so whose responsibility is it to solve this problem is it the religious organizations who we believe both of the factions believe that in their own god and their creator or is it mm-hmm. the politicians is it the politicians that need to come together or is it for example europe needs to come together with with the least you know if you put it all into the mix 
Who's going to come out the leadership? I struggle with the United Nations being able to do that role. Who's there that can do it? Myself and us in the studio, we can talk about it. We can be nice yep. to one another. But we can't sit in those negotiating rooms or we cannot prevent Hamas doing what it's doing. We cannot prevent the Israeli government about to flatten uh, Gaza. We're sitting here, but what, what can we do? We have explained clearly that, yes, we need to pray to God Almighty to help bring sensibility to this situation and obviously have tolerance. But ultimately, who should we be pointing the finger at, in your opinion? I think actually both ways, religious mm-hmm. scholars and as well as well as politicians. I mean, because it is being manipul- uh, manipulated both uh, politically and also religiously, mm-hmm. um, because Israel, in fact, people believe to be a Jewish state, and they are doing this um, to you know to enhance their land or or whatever. And so is in the in the case of the Palestinians, people say that you know they're calling for. Um, jihad or religious war or holy war against against so to say a, a Jewish state or Jews in, in themselves. So I think both need to realize that their their responsibilities, religious scholars as well as politicians. And as a layman, uh, or we, as you just said, that we can have a discussion about it. But we, what can we do as an as an individual? I mean, I guess what what we can do is first of all uh, bring the discussion up about what actually justice is. I mean, because when now in the Middle East the conflict started, I mean we don't agree with the attack that happened. We don't also agree with how it is being responded uh, or how the revenge is being taken. Um, so at the end of the day, as you also mentioned, as far as I that. These are actually innocent lives that we are losing on both sides of, of, yes. of it. And, 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 and no one seems to be thinking about the innocent lives that we're losing, be it children, elderly women, um, you know, being stripped of their common freedom, that, that normal human decency um, that, that demands that, you know, we deal with this uh, uh, with wisdom. But what we de- how we're dealing with it is that, we have claims of people saying that, you know, uh, flatten the Gaza Strip or bring them hell or whatnot. Um, so this isn't th- this doesn't resolve anything. I mean, it, it never has, it never will. This is how actually things actually tend to get worse. Because right now, if we see a divide in in world governments or, or world leaders, um, if there becomes a divide or the divide becomes bigger with some parting with Palestine, some parting with Israel, um, then this will only escalate, and 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 the wisdom does, and and the human decency and wisdom does not show that we should escalate this. This should be resolved on both sides. Religious scholars to accept and explain how what actually uh, the concept of jihad or holy war is, and also politicians taking their yeah. their responsibility. I mean, we in the UK we have the perfect example in when we had the Belfast and the Good Friday Agreement that was signed on the 10th of April in 1998, when there was this multi-party agreement from most of the Northern Ireland's political parties. And and we're seeing it here today. So it can be done, right? So we have an example in Europe, in the United Kingdom, where there was a war and we we solved it. So, you know, I I don't want to paint too much of a bleak picture. However much it hurts us so much that there is hope, right? Yes, I mean, um, if everyone listens to to common sense, I mean, and and tend towards you know uh, accepting the fact that you know we may also be wrong in how we're dealing with it, 
uh, and brings everyone to the table, uh, be it Hamas or, or, or be it the Israeli government or be it other Western governments, that, you know, this needs to be resolved before it gets out of hand and, and before any more innocent lives are lost. Um, then, then yes, there is always there's there's still hope, but um, we must also realize that um, the conflicts that are arising are all around the world. Um, it needs a bigger solution than 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 just the fact that you know there is hope. Well, there's there's there a time for action, and yeah, and I didn't mean that, that we're that having time. like a, a yeah. schoolboy conversation. We know that how yeah. complex it actually is. Yeah. There are so many factors involved. In this situation and deep history, as Brother Gummers explained, that this is this goes on, stems on from very long. But to to a point when it all started, there was peace to where we are today in this last two centuries where it's all gone wrong. So if you look at all the century, we've had peace. We're just going through an extremely difficult period where people may have lost what it says in the Holy Quran, you know, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and, mm-hmm. and be witness for Allah, even though it's against yourself or against parents and kindred. That was chapter 4, verse 36, and Brother Gummer explained it to us. So, yeah, it, 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 we're not having this. We do appreciate how complex this is, and you and I mm-hmm. do not have a, the answer. The answer is not simple. Yeah, no, the answer is not simple. I mean, the answer is not fully simple. It's just that um, when we need to try and try our best on our 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 own circles, wherever we can, and bring you know, uh, explain the teachings of of uh, Islam in general about peace, about the message that the His Holiness has been giving out for past 20 years, that justice is the absolute answer for this, and how justice, how would that justice prevail exactly? How you presented the Quranic verse just now that. Absolute justice means that even if you have to give, uh, you know, evidence against yourself, or even even if it is against yourself or your your kindred ones or your or your uh, friends or your or, or your nation, then then you should accept it because that is justice, and it should not be uh, corrupted in the way that okay. you know when it when it should not be corrupted in any way or sense. Sure. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Musawwir, for joining us all the way from Finland. Finland, really appreciate your input and, and thanks again. Uh, have a lovely weekend and please remember us all, as well as the world, as His Holiness today reminded us to keep everyone in, in their prayers. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you for having me and assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. We are talking about justice or the absence of justice in the world um, and that is the, the absolute golden rule that uh, is um, that seems to be missing from the world today. The worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Masoor Ahmad, the current head and the caliph, um, has, um, has um, talked about this golden rule. And I quote, A golden principle given by the founder of Islam, Holy Prophet Muhammad, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is that a true Muslim should like for others what he likes for himself. I believe that this simple and profound point, if acted upon not just by Muslims, but by all people, is the means for everlasting peace in society. No doubt, everyone desires peace for themselves and their loved ones. But most people will be lying if they claim that they want their opponents and competitors to have peace and to live with contentment. Hmm. Yet this is the standard of nobility and generosity of spirit that Islam requires. It is a religion and teaching that promotes selflessness and urges humans to discard 
all traces of selfishness, unquote. Absolutely. This, you know what you've mentioned there, that you love for, uh, for others, what you love for yourself. Yeah. This is really important in another way as well. Muslims are brothers of Muslims as well. And His Holiness in today's Friday sermon actually brought attention and responsibility on, uh, Hanif, you answered a question, this is or who, who yeah. is responsible. Yeah. He brought responsibility to who? To the Muslim countries. Yeah. He said, look, can you, before I talk about what His Holiness said, can you imagine just for a moment in the time of the Ottoman Caliphate that a part of the Ottoman Caliphate let's say in the south of it would have been attacked and the north just sat there quietly blindly doing nothing as, as, as though nothing had happened they would have pounced in a minute whether it was diplomatic talks whether it was having to fight they would have done something about it they wouldn't have let it rest even for a day in the time of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him Could you, you wouldn't imagine the same thing it wasn't in the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, forget the Muslims. We had pacts like with people like the Christians of Najran, who weren't even Muslim in the first place, saying that if someone even attacks you, we'll defend you. We wouldn't even have turned a blind eye to that. What's happened to the Muslims today? Mm. Today we have the Muslims who, right now we know that their electricity and their, their water and their hospitals have been shut down. We can see it happening. You don't have... To, there's no way that you can deny that you have no knowledge of this. Everybody knows about it. And yet we're we, we saying, what is we, we, the question we're asking in the West is, what is proportionate response to terrorism? Yeah. Okay, that, that's a whole other side of it. <laughs> but before we even get to that question, before we yeah. even ask, if I'm going to be very straightforward, yeah. before we even ask, what are the others doing about it? What are the Muslims doing about mm-hmm. it, first and foremost? Because mm-hmm. they are your brothers. Okay, this is your family. Okay, they're doing nothing. Okay, we've had a few quakes here and there. But the major Arab nations have sat there. In fact, one of them is sitting there trying to form a deal with the oppressor. And this is exactly what was happening before this fight began. Mm. So His Holiness is bringing them to account that if you cannot help your brothers, then, then who else, you know, yeah. if, if you're not, not going to help your own family, don't expect someone yeah. to come out from outside no, no, and I, then do something right. about it. So this is, this is first and foremost supposing yeah. when the Aniyal said, that you should love for your, for, your, for your others what you love for yourself. What it means is, is that if there is a Muslim nation somewhere else that is enjoying freedom and it's enjoying financial power and it's enjoying military prowess and it's, and it's in a good position that it enjoys diplomatic ties, then it should utilize them to help its friends and its brothers. Unfortunately, that's not happening. Yeah, no, you're so right. And that was the kind of thing that I was kind of trying to allude to as well because um, where we, we, we see it Look at all Yemen, look at uh, what's happening in Darfur, uh, South Sudan. Mm. It, it's all going on. We could, we could solve those problems if we all came together. But what we're not saying is to actually pick up arms at the moment at all. What we're saying is come together, at least come together. Step one. <laughs> and do the step one because before you get to the situation that we will go or yeah. they will go to, to war, we're nowhere near that. What we're saying is to do the first step talk sit down explain and then come to an agreement that everyone can move forward but if the muslim world can't do it look same thing was said by the fourth khalifa uh, may allah be pleased with him when the iran iraq war started mm. right uh, the first one when it said the, the muslim world should come together and and prevent it from happening again yeah did they? We wouldn't have had the second attack if we exactly. already got together. So I think it's 
this is why I said it's not as easy as people think it should be, and people get really upset and yeah. they say things that they don't no, actually it's a, it, mean. It is obviously very, a very complicated. And this issue. thing about helping your brother and helping other Muslim brother help mm. it doesn't mean we're telling them to get arms. We're telling them to understand and come to the diplomatic because you're right. There are Muslim countries that have a very good, strong diplomatic relationships with countries around the world, not just the European, but also with China, with everything else, which is another superpower. So we think there is a solution if there's a will. I, I think, yes, you're saying that obviously we don't want to pick up arms. No, no we're not but, saying that. But yeah. even the threat, even the mere threats of it is a deterrent. This is yeah. the point. Uh, in history, like, the reason why I mentioned Ottoman mm. history is because there have been times where some nations considered trying to usurp nations and they were so afraid of the Ottoman Empire they actually would go and send ambassadors there beforehand saying that let's try and negotiate to come to terms with this can we can we take part of this and all they would say is that if you even think about this we will unite it wouldn't go further than that there yeah. wouldn't be any warfare because right. they knew how united the muslims were yeah. so even if it's no no one wants warfare but for it to serve as a deterrent even at the very base because the world knows at the moment that the muslim countries themselves are not factually united as his holiness has been talking about it if we just unite Hmm. no one's going to even think about doing this. But because we are not, and this is to our own fault, to our own detriment, it's being taken advantage of. So first and foremost, we need to work on our issues at home. And then, Daniel, yes, quite rightly so. There is a double standard here as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm on social media a lot as well. And actually, this morning, in fact, Ben Shapiro, out of all people, posted an image of what was deemed to be a... Well, it's not a very nice image. It was what seemed to be a... A, a deformed child uh, nobody wants to see that at any time of the day and, and the t- the t- be reality claiming that this is of course a, a, a young Israeli child and what happened there is that of course there was an outcry an outrage and this wasn't a case where it turned out to be a Palestinian child actually mm. this was a case where it turned out to be an artificially produced image completely fake so there we have one on, on the one hand where when people like this are caught out in their lies nobody bats an, bats an eyelid Mm. Absolutely not. No, there was no. There was nothing that was said about it. Obviously, there was Muslim outrage, but there was no accountability of this either. There's mm. no. Oh, what are we going to do about it now? You told a lie. Nothing. Very little decency, as as we were talking about, which which is very linked to very closely linked with uh, righteousness. Uh, gentlemen, I we've been uh, talking about his holiness and and what's been saying, and I wanted to now quote uh, from what he actually talked about today in his Friday sermon, and uh, this is what he said, and I quote. At this time, I would like to make an appeal for prayers relating to the conditions of the world today. Over the past few years, the war between Hamas and Israel has been ongoing, due to which citizens on both sides, including women, children and the elderly, are being killed without distinction or have already been killed. Even in times of war, Islam does not permit the killing of women, children or anyone not participating in the war Mm. in any way. Mm. This is something which the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave guidance on in very strong terms. The world is saying, and certain evidence also shows, that Hamas initiated this war and is guilty of killing Israeli citizens indiscriminately. Despite the fact that the Israeli army has killed many innocent Palestinians, Muslims, in any case, must act according to the teachings of Islam. Israel is responsible for whatever its army has done, and there are many different ways of reaching a resolution. If a war is warranted, 
then it can be fought between armies, not with women, children and the innocent. In this way, the actions of Hamas were wrong. They had more negative consequences than positive ones. Whatever took place and its consequences should have remained limited to Hamas. This would have been true bravery and valor. However, now the actions being taken by Israeli government are also very dangerous. It seems as if there is no end to this situation. The innumerable amount of innocent lives of women and children that will be lost is unfathomable. The Israeli government claimed that they would completely eliminate Gaza, in which end they dropped to which end they dropped many bombs. They have reduced the city to ashes. The latest circumstances are that they have said more than a million people should leave Gaza and have and some have indeed started leaving. Thank you. Thankfully, as feeble as it may be, the UN has raised its voice to some degree, saying that this would be a violation of human rights and it, we, it would be wrong, leading to many difficulties. As such, Israel should reconsider this order. Rather than firmly saying that this is wrong, the UN is merely making a request. In any case, the innocent who are not partaking in the war are not at fault at all. If the world considers Israeli women, children and ordinary citizens to be innocent, then the Palestinians are also just as innocent. The teachings of these people of the book also say that such killings are impossible. If it is alleged that the Muslims were wrong, then these people should also look at themselves. In any case, we must pray a great deal. The Palestinian ambassador to the UK gave a television interview here to the BBC and in response to a question said that Hamas is a militant group, not a government, and it has no connection to the Palestinian government. At the same time, he raised the question, and rightfully so, that if the true justice and if true justice were to be established, then such things would not transpire. If major powers did not have double standards, then such restlessness and warfare in the world could never happen. Hence, if these double standards were eliminated, then such warfare would be eliminated. These are the very things which I have been stating in the light of Islam's teaching for quite some time. In the moment, people agree. However, they are not prepared to act accordingly. Unquote. Yeah, that's what it is. We, we t- everyone's saying, oh, what, what's going on? Why are they fighting? Why are they killing? What? It's because they're frustrated. It's because they're not seeing justice. I mean, if, if the due course was being implemented, this wouldn't need to have, hap- have happened. Yeah. And it's very sad that it's happening, but it could have been avoided. And it's the very same people that are morally, virtually sig- virtue signaling other people are the same people that are in position and authority to actually stop it in the first place. So they should stop virtue signaling and start working and acting and doing things that can stop this in the first place. We've already spoken about some methods of how that can be done. His Holiness actually also earlier in this sermon spoke about the UN as well, how its fundamental objective actually after the wars was simply set up to stop the loss of more life. Yeah. And that's it. It's not. It's not about taking sides. Doing f- step one, like we've mentioned already, yeah. was just about stopping the loss of life. So far, that's not happening. It's just continuing to happen day by day by day. And we know there's a bigger picture to this. But because, like I said, I, I'm a lot on social media as well. 
that we have a huge responsibility uh, when it comes to online as well. The kind of information that you send can easily sway people's mindsets and also the way that they act as well. This can be in Palestine, in Israel. It can also mm. be outside as well because we know this violence has now kind of escalated, especially uh, especially today. Yeah. It, it, to, to other countries as well. You've got riots. You've got people who are trying to kill others. So we have a responsibility where we're even us at home to be very very clear and fair on what we say and that's why tolerance is important because if you are an intolerant person the tweets the posts the things that you say the images that you might fakely even concoct the the news that you might post without fact checking would have a negative unethical effect on what happens and this is what we're seeing daniel as well i mean you mentioned one example there there, there are many many countless yeah. examples of, of of lies that have basically been told, unfortunately, uh, that were unsubstantiated. We had the LA Times that reported, for example, uh, a picture of a couple of children that were in cages claiming they were Israeli children and they were not. They were Palestinian. That They posted again an, an, an image of a, a, a truck full of bodies saying that they were quote-unquote Jewish children be, being sent to be burnt alive. Mm. Again, it was just Palestinian children. There was a video going around of quote-unquote Hamas militants coming down to attack uh, Israel on parachutes. This was actually a video from an Egyptian training camp. There was a, a headline about, we already know it, 40 <laughs> beheaded babies. And all of this, yeah. of course, we're not denying the fact that there is injustice happening on both sides. But the way that it's being portrayed is either exaggerated at times or false. And that yeah. will spew yeah. more mm. hatred into mm. the minds of people yeah. that are already angry and frustrated. Yeah. And we already know yeah. where that goes. And yeah. you're so right. It's like adding fire to the already engulfed flame already. Yeah. And <clears throat> we see that uh, people export their ideology out around the world and create mischief. And it is a problem. And governments need to take the responsibility. That's where being able to curtail it. And this is where we have the issue with fake news. Fake news mm. is, is one of those things that we need to really hamper down on. And not only do politicians have responsibility not only do religious leaders have responsibility but also the private sector that have these platforms yeah. where a lot of this information is there because ideally what we should be doing is is talking about how people have helped one another how you come together in this united kingdom where Muslims and Jews are coming together and then talking to one another and empathizing with one another and understanding how they can help one another because they don't belong to this war that's going or this what's being reported in the news. They just want to see love, peace and humanity. We're not reporting those incidences. We as our as our as a as a movement, hmm. uh, as a community, how many peace symposiums have we had where you have, have had every single religious leader hmm. come and talk about what unites us, not what divides us? And that is one of the biggest things that we need to be doing. And it is a responsibility, and everybody needs to take that responsibility seriously. Absolutely right. Um, again, to quote uh, from um, uh, another part of the address from His Holiness, Hazrat yeah. um, Mr. Masood Ahmed's um, uh, actually Friday sermon. Um, only a, a few hours earlier, um, he, he said, and I quote, Upon analysis, it would seem that the major powers are bent on fanning the flames of war rather than putting them out. They do not wish to end warfare. After the First World War, the major powers created the League of Nations in order to bring an end to wars. However, 
due to not fulfilling the demands of justice and in striving to maintain its own dominance, it failed. Then the Second World War took place and it, sa- it is said that more than 70 million lives were lost. The same is happening now with the UN. It was created to establish justice in the world, support the oppressed, and to try and bring an end to wars. However, these are all far from being reality. Everyone is simply concerned with their own interests. The average person cannot even fathom the harmful consequences of the war that will result from these injustices. However, all the major powers are well aware of the grave consequences. Yet, despite this, there is no attention given towards establishing justice. No one is even prepared to pay attention to this. Unquote. And I'd like to end this segment by quoting uh, once again from the Holy Quran, chapter 4, verse 136. Allah the Almighty states, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah even though it may be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you, and if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. That's from chapter 4. um, verse 136. Thank you very much for joining us. We will be back after the news break. Um, Five o'clock news is next. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Friday, the 13th of October 2023. The time is 5.03 p.m. And we're about to delve into the second topic of this afternoon, which is about God, the belief in God, the concept of God, and why Islam stands out. Allah, there is no God save Him, the living, the self subsisting, and self sustaining. Slumber seizes him not, slumber seizes him not, nor sleep. To him belongs whatsoever is in the heavens and whatsoever is in the earth. Who is he that dare intercede with him save by his permission? He knows what is before them and what is behind them, and they encompass nothing of his knowledge except what he pleases. His knowledge extends over the heavens and the earth, 
and the care of them varies him not. And he is the high, the great. Chapter 2, two um, chapter 2, verse 256. Interesting. That is chapter 2, 256, one of the most pivotal verses of yeah. the Quran. We Muslims know it as Ayatul Kursi, mm. which is a, a verse which very beautifully kind of explains God to us. If we wanted to understand God from a kind of introductory level for Muslims, this would be what it is. Now, this, Daniel, I think you mentioned in the beginning, we're going to talk about kind of the concept of God. We're going to kind of see how it, what, what, what do we see or mean by God in Islam? How does it differ? And I think I don't want to make this overcomplicated. Let's just get straight to the point. Uh, that's that's why we have you oh, here today. Fair yeah, yeah. I didn't know Absolutely. that. <laughs> you're, you're an imam in the community. We would have made it complicated, okay, not you. Yeah. So, I mean, here here it is. Because what what you've had before Islam is you've had a sort of polytheism, a, a number of gods, different kinds of gods for different purposes. And that's mm. what was practiced. That was, that's what was believed. And we're going to then talk about how, where obviously... Judaism came in. We have we know about Christianity. We know about Islam. These are a lot of the religions that even children will probably learn about in schools, in their primary schools, in their secondary schools as well. But it's interesting and unique with Islam because while at the current stage Jews will believe that God, yes, specifically came to them, uh, for them, and their and their practice and their theology is is sacred to them. And while while Christians don't believe that, yes, they have this belief that Christianity, first and foremost, if you're a monotheistic Christian, you believe that it came to Jesus. Uh, if you're if you're a Trinitarian Christian, you believe that Jesus was the God that that was preached about, etc., etc. And in the Bible, we have things like you know, the, the wisdom will not be given to the dogs or the Gentiles. So even there, you have this concept that certain people have access to the theology. But what does what do we have with Islam, which is very interesting? Because while you have these themes that in certain religions, God was specifically sent for them, or they were special because God was spent, sent to them. What Islam is saying is, that even Prophet Abraham السلام, was a Muslim. What on earth? Because Abraham السلام, wasn't even around at the time of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. How on earth was he a Muslim? And all of the prophets that came before the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, we had Prophet Idris, Prophet Yusuf, Prophet Isaac, salam, being described as Muslims. How could they be Muslims following Islam if they were not even around at the time that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, came? And this is where Islam is very unique because Islam doesn't talk about this idea of there being a God specifically for this tribe and then there was a God that came for that tribe and he was exclusively for them Islam's message is this that there has always just been one God and he was the same God that came to Abraham peace be upon him he was the same God that approached Moses peace be upon him near the tree he was the same God that approached Jesus peace be upon him and he was also the same God that approached Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him take it one step back so these people you mentioned as of Isa Jesus as of Noah um Musa, Moses, they were not gods. They were, they weren't the, the people didn't consider them as gods. They no. considered them as prophets no. or people that were, would know about religion that they could teach others. So they were taught something, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what right. you mean by God came to them. Yes. To teach them uh, how to live their lives um, 
moralistically and practically uh, what met what how they were understood things at that time absolutely because you couldn't have given what they taught say Hazrat Adam the prophets the same teachings they would have given to Hazrat Isa right so God in himself, you're right so God's been there from day dot but he's he's been teaching mankind in his own special way absolutely and I think the way that Islam is unique in this yeah is that Islam doesn't reject the idea that a God also could have approached the Christians yeah in fact he did mm. God does Islam doesn't reject the idea that God could have approached the Israelites who are now modern-day Jews he, he did we don't even have a problem with that although it's very it's a realistic truth right now that if we were to switch to tell the other way around most religions would not accept wholeheartedly that God could approach Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and this is why Islam is unique because when you flip the tables our way we don't have a problem with any other religion that we have heard about saying that God approached them. And this is why the concept of God in Islam is so unique mm. because it's compatible and it's universal with any kind of theology that we know about. Because the Quran says that, that, and that, that every single nation God has sent a prophet and a messenger to. So wherever you hear from a person, that they have said they have said that we had a prophet and we had a teaching and we and this is how we've adopted it. Muslims don't have a problem with having received that kind of a message. So we understand that God isn't isolated. Yeah. God isn't just selective in the way that he comes down and approaches humanity and people. In fact, God is there. He's always been there and he has sent messages time from time, place to place for every single person. And as Hanif, you've mentioned as well, mm -hmm. certain teachings, certain criterion are compatible for certain times and that's why we would have had a, a deference in the way that messages were revealed but ultimately it was the same message and one thing that I really beautifully remember one of the Islamic scholars saying which kind of homed in for me for what Islam's message about Godship is is that you know you have everybody today and it's kind of it is true fighting about the messenger who was the messenger who's the right messenger this guy was a messenger was he a messenger he wasn't a messenger he was a prophet he wasn't a prophet he goes, everybody's fighting about the messenger. Did you get the message? And this is the actual question that we should be thinking about. Because for Muslims, this is really what it is. And this is what we're going to delve in today. If you look at what the Christians have, which is the Injil. If you look at what the Judaic teaching has, which is the Torah and the Zabur, the Psalms. And you have the Muslim. The Injil is the first testament. Is that what the Injil is not the first testament. It, it is, is a it's... revealed book that was given to the Christians. Right. We don't have it, unfortunately, in its complete or any form to be honest at the moment we have commentary on it which we can accept as the the, gospel, the modern day testaments right. but we still have an essence of it so we can still look back at it and see what would have been around and we have the old testament which is somewhat of what was revealed to moses although because it's written in the third person it's not written by moses himself for example we cannot devoutly say that this was revelation so we have and then also the psalms and we have all of these things of which as you've quite rightly pointed out, Hanif, we don't have them in the best preserved formats. Mm. But with Islam, again, we do have the Quran, at least. At the very least, we have the Quran, which not only preserves the Islamic theology, but within the Quran, God has also finalized and preserved the perfect true teachings of Judaism and Christianity as well. So we can always look back and we, what we can find is a commonality. We yeah. can find common themes in these scriptures, which actually further strengthens the idea that it is the same God and that there is one God 
And this is the beauty of Islam. A lot of people are actually accepting Islam now. I think if you guys watched the the recent PBD podcast, we actually had one of the, I think it's the most viewed podcast in the world right now, was in a nutshell, Muslims versus ex-Muslims. Um, and one of the Muslims there was a Christian convert. And if you look into his story and you see what, what it was all about for him, it's, it's all about this idea. It's all about this idea that God is a, a universal God. It's not about choosing sides. Okay. So I've got a question for you. <clears throat> you. You've spoken quite eloquently about how God came to people and, and what Islam is. When did this concept of heaven and hell come in? Because is this, has this been there from day one? The concept of heaven and hell has been around, yes, for a, ver- a very long time, yeah. actually. We can even see that in the time of Prophet Abraham, salam, although we don't have his pure and pristine teachings, hmm. we have that concept there as well. In fact, that was something that was there anciently to speak of. Even if you had Greek mythology, hmm. you had a concept of even Greek gods sending their either their worshippers or those who failed to a, a, a pit or fire or, or something like that and then of course gardens of grapes and things like this and this I would call it an idea yes this idea existed even at that time but when we prophetically received it i.e. Abraham and Adam salam, being the first prophets I mean in, in Muslim theology Adam salam, is a sort of a, a disputed figure some Muslims believe that he was the first human being but as, as an Ahmadi Muslim we believe that he was actually just the first prophet of God the mm. first man what that basically means he was the first man to receive revelation from God which he was then told to go and tell to other people so that's who we can I just jump in there Imam, yeah. because we've got a question on Instagram oh, okay. and that relates to what you're talking about here so the question really is um, I have a question not about God but what do Ahmadis believe about how the world was created Okay, so yeah, why don't we talk about that right now? Because we're talking about Prophet Adam yeah. anyway. So what the, Qur- the Quran gives you a clue. It gives you clues about things. But the Quran, of course, is not a book of, of science, but it has verities in it. For example, the Quran's, I wouldn't say this is related. So well, let's come back to Adam. We'll come okay. back to Adam. Remind okay. me, we need to talk about him. But since this is a question that you've asked, I'll remind you. Daniel, <laughs> let, let's come back to the point again. Sure. The Quran first and foremost says, وَمَا مِنْ غَائِبَةٍ فِي السَّمَاءِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ that there isn't a hidden verity or a secret in the world except for it is recorded in the, this manifest book, which is the Qur'an. So the Qur'an does always have record and recollection of what we are trying to find out. So when we talk about this, we, we are very lucky actually because the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, mm. may Allah have mercy on his soul, actually expounded upon many theories of creation and how we got here in his book, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth. If you want to, whoever asked the question wants to read about it in a little bit more depth, they're very, very free to do so. It's a, it's a lengthy book, but you, once you start reading it, you'll fall in love with, with the theories, the ideas and support of the Holy Quran. So let's, let's kind of start off because life doesn't begin with, with life here on planet Earth. It predates the un- the universe is where it really began. Yeah, and so- I, I guess maybe a good place to start to answer this question is, uh, and we because we are sort of doing a comparative study or comparative discussion as well. In uh, in Genesis, for example, it is mentioned that, uh, um, and it it's mentioned yes. somewhere in the Quran that it's you know it was. I would I would say let's come to that. Created okay. The, the reason why I wouldn't say let's start with that is because it would be a false comparison, because yes, although the Bible doesn't speak about what happened before that, necessarily. 
the Quran speaks about the absolute beginning. And I know mm. what you're talking about. You're talking about let there be light and all of that. Yeah. But let's 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 look at it because the Quran says, Awalam kafaru." Do the disbelievers not see? That the heavens and the earth were like a closed up mass. Yeah. Then we ripped them or we clothed them asunder. Then we created from water every living thing. Now, let's first detract from this and then we'll go to the Bible in Genesis as well and we'll look at other scriptures as well. Sure. So we see that this first of all says that the heavens and earth were like a closed up mass and we ripped them asunder. Very simply, if we get to the point, this very beautifully explains the Big Bang Theory, yeah. uh, which we actually accept and acclaim today scientifically as well. Mm. And this is mentioned in the Quran many, many years before. Uh, a lot of scientists were yeah. able to kind of even not, not even only discover this, but fathom this. And not only does the Quran mention this, but to further support this theory, there's another theory that NASA currently holds, which is the red drift and the blue drift, which talks about measuring light as f the further it goes away, the shorter it gets, etc., etc., and they're able to use this theory to come to the the idea, the current theory that the universe is actually expanding yeah. because of the explosion, and that's called the expansion theory. And the Quran also says um, the same thing: that we have created the heavens and the earth, and we are currently expanding it. So, if we take both of these things hand in hand, we can actually see the Quran is already had got there before science had got there with these ideas. Not only this. We can see there are many more things when it comes to creation. The, the same verse says, That we made from water every living thing. We now know, without a shadow of a doubt, that the very first microbiorganisms that were created in life didn't come from land. They came from water. And then there was an evolution. And of course, here we go again. Because there's a talk about evolution, natural selection, all of these things which you hear about a lot. And I'm sure people who are trying to mix these things with religion probably always come at a sort of a, a bridge like how on earth do we kind of coincide with these things because it's chance right right well <laughs> so the quran also talks about these things yeah. the quran says that we actually created you in stages the quran the quran does not deny this the quran does not deny this kind of evolution evolution mm. yeah. what does the quran deny it says that yes there, there may have been a natural selection process but it wasn't blind someone had to set out that formula mm -hmm. that algorithm yeah. and that's the only place that we really differ with it yeah. so the Quran mentions just these to things to clarify Charles Darwin's theory is what we're referring to sorry the blind oh yes, yes what sorry. we're referring to is that that natural selection process actually that's where we differ although it, a lot of the, we agree it's that natural progression process yes so so these things first and foremost yeah. to this degree are mentioned in the Quran yes but then the Quran also goes further because it talks about creation there, and then it talks about that that's creation in a general sense. Mm. That, okay, this is how the universe was created. And in fact, Khalifa Rabi Rahimahullah, Mirza Tahir Rahimahullah, he mentions a, a theory of entropy, which is a theory. It's gonna. It's a little bit complicated, but I think it's worth mentioning. Because what it talks about is something quite profound. Um, the idea that, yes, uh, the Big Bang basically started off with a black hole. And... The opposite of a black hole is a white hole. So a black hole is a door in, but there is also a door going out to another possible dimension or wherever. And that is a white hole. And scientists describe this as the theory of entropy. So what that basically means is, is that a black hole will be a, a, a area with a lot of dense matter, a lot of dense matter that is being held together by gravity.
to the point that when it gets so dense that it explodes. And that's what causes an explosion or what we would now term as the Big Bang. And that explosion causes an expansion which we already know about. Okay. But a day will come when this is what we call the Big Crunch Theory. So NASA has a theory called the Big Crunch Theory, which is how they believe the universe will actually come to an end. And what, how will that happen? So we're, we're expanding, expanding, as the Quran also says, we're expanding. But then gravity will actually be able to re-grasp, get a grip again and start pulling the universe back again. Black holes. Uh, we're not even there yet. It's, it's, oh. it, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Be, and because Einstein's yeah. theory, um, yeah. theory of relativity tells us that mm. space-time is actually matter and there's actually dark matter that looks like fabric. So when it comes back, it will actually come back like a carpet rolling back on in itself. Yes, like Hanif, you said, in, into a black hole. Mm. And this is the theory of the Big Crunch. The theory of the Big Crunch also theorizes that it will come back into a black hole. But what then? It, it could re-explode. Re and this yeah, is this is the theory of entropy, right. that it starts stop theory, that it, ex it explodes, mm. it comes re-implodes again, and then it explodes to the point where every single time there's a new explosion, the universe eats a little bit of itself to the point where there eventually will come a time where it will not even have enough energy to restart the car. And that obviously hasn't happened yet. So Khalifa Rabi Rahimullah even entertains this theory, Islamically speaking, where he says, um, in the Quran, what this means is that that day will come where we will wrap up the heavens and the earth like the rolling up of the scrolls of a scribe. Surely we will do this. We will bring the, the creation back to how we began it. Surely we will do this. This is the entire verse. So... You're describing and you're talking about something that's written in the Holy Quran. Yes. And this was revealed over 1,500 years ago. Around about. Around about. So we're describing things that people didn't even imagine. And like we're I said. Actually, yeah. yeah. So just to bring it back, the people listening in the show, that you've literally just described something that we are now just about now with the knowledge that we're getting, understanding what was already described. It's, it's interesting because yeah. discovery is one thing. Even to be able to fathom this thing. Yeah. When, when the companions must have heard these things at that time, even the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, wouldn't always explain these things to the companions. I mean, there's no idea. There's no way that they would have understood yeah. what was going on. Got it. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, I do, I, I do these kind of things. I talk about these things a lot. And they will say things like, oh, Oh, Muslims just said this because it's already happened. You know, you linked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's well a the, the theory of yeah. entropy and the big crunch hasn't actually happened yet. You know, mm. it's going to happen in the future. So this is something that we can wait and see about. So we can see, first of all, the Quran doesn't just speak about the question was about creation of the universe. Yes. Yeah. Question of, of human creation. We talk about evolution and also the end. But also the Quran speaks about one more thing in Surah al uh, Surah al uh, or you want to call it Surah Al-Fallah where it says Qad and then it speaks about the, the whole idea of embry embryology as well that mm. and then it carries on quite beautifully and what, I want to talk about this as well, as well because this wasn't a time like I said where we had that kind of scientific development where we were able to talk about things in minute detail this is where it really gets quite even more interesting where the Quran talks about first stage embryology and it talks about nutfatun, alakatun, mudgatun. And it describes alakatun as a chewed up substance which has been chewed between the teeth. That, was, uh, that is what alakatun means. Hmm. And this is quite profound. So in 1960-ish, 
some scientists took this actual verse and they compared mm. it the two, the two fetuses side by side. And I don't know if you, how many of you have actually seen this, but if you even Google now first aid embryology and you look at what the fetus looks like, it actually resembles a piece of, let's say, chewing gum that has been put between the teeth. Mm. I can't show you this on a radio because mm. we're on a radio, but you can take a look at it yourself. And then it talks about mudghatan, that we turned it into mudghatan, which talks about a piece of flesh that resembles a, a parasite or a leech. Hmm. And if you look at a leech, and everybody knows what a kind of a leech looks like, or, or you could say it looks yeah. a bit like a, a millipede or a centi- that kind of thing, you can look at the embryos, you can compare side by side exactly what they look like. And it talks about these creation stages. And then it doesn't stop there because humans understand creation to be physical and things that we can tangibly see. But the Quran goes further than to explain seven more stages of creation that normally in science we don't talk about. And they're spiritual stages of how your soul and your spirit develops as well. So if you want to read about that, I'm not... Yeah, that's, that's not really interesting. I was listening to something the other day. It's, it's like everyone can work out the, the science, the brain, work it out. They can cut a bit here, take a bit yeah. there, solve a tumour. But they can't work out how is it with all the ability and knowledge and absolutely billions of instructions, it can just move. Because it's not like having a car, which you can control. There's something in our body... That controls our physical stuff we do. That's the thing. Some people call it mind. Some people call it a soul. Is that the thing that you're kind of referring to? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research right now. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's put it. There's a lot of research going on into mindfulness, well-being, uh, all of these kinds of things. But the Quran has put it there, or like you said, quite clearly. And I would, I would, I would, I would although it's not the topic of today's show, so I won't delve into it. That looking into. We've got 35 more minutes. Okay. To we've got, we've got a lot to say. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry about it. That in chapter 18, you can go and take a look. Yeah. Look, part 18, sorry. First verse of part 18. You can go and take yeah. a look at the commentary of this and you can see there. So this is kind of the creation element of, mm. okay, what it is. But we're talking about God. Right. And we're talking about the concept of God. So this is, this is great. This kind of conversation is good. I mean, we have a lot of food for thought here. Yes. I'm going to interrupt you once yeah. more. God isn't someone that made the earth, made the, made the heavens and sit higher and higher and higher and actually sits on the big throne. You know what? We don't, uh, Ahmadi Muslims do not believe this. Uh, we don't believe this. Some, uh, some Muslims have a concept of throneship. Again, it's a completely separate topic. Uh, but we believe God is omnipresent. Yes, yeah. omnipresent is absolutely the point. So that's that's correct. So omnipresent, omniscient, um, at the very least, so all knowing, uh, all yeah, and also omnipotent and all powerful as well. Yeah. As as the very first verses that uh, Brother Daniel recited, mm. it pretty clearly clearly talks about God's powers and how He is able to w- work and, and operate. So okay. what we know. Going back to to the point, I think we were talking about because I'm aware that we've only okay, got. No, no, we're we're talking about creation and how it's created, and I yeah. think you you answered that question very very well. So, and Jazakallah for that. Thank you very much. I think that uh, that was a very. Uh, I think uh, we were talking about very detailed Adam answer or something. No, we went to Adam because you spoke about prophets and messages uh, and how yes. it all happened. But then we also went about how the actual concept of the Big Bang theory. I came. think what I was trying to say. And then we were going to talk about the Genesis after that, weren't we? And and then yeah, then we yeah I asked you the question about this, but there is another question actually, which is linked to the to the question okay. of God that you were talking yeah. about on Instagram as well. So the question is, what do we mean by the existence of God? Does he exist like humans or angels? Okay. So existence and first and foremost, yes, we cannot compare God to human beings for the simple reason that our existence is finite. 
That's the first thing. That our existence is fine. كل من عليها فم ويبقى وجه ربك ذو الجلال والإكرام. Which say, this is in the Quran, by the way. Which says that everything except for God's will perish, and the only thing that will remain is God, who is the All Magnificent. And this is exactly what the Quran sets in principle. So no, actually, we cannot compare anything to God in that sense. No. Our existence, our nature, is not exactly the same. But I get what you're trying to say. You're saying if God exists, does does he is he really kind of here like us? Mm. You know, is he walking and is he walking and breathing like like us? Is he like that? And I guess the the real question that people are trying to ask is how can we relate? To, to an existence which we can't really fathom and understand yeah. because we don't see him walking and talking we don't see him breathing we don't see him laughing. we can't touch him yeah, exactly you, all of the basic things yeah. that a lot of people all are, the senses all which the five basically senses boils have, yeah. down to the fact that yes we can't see God we can't hear him does that mean that that's a valid existence or not yeah. so the question is if someone I mean what validates an existence basically this is the point right so we have a any kind of theist whether you're a Muslim Christian doesn't matter they will have a number of reasons for why they validate the, their belief in God or their belief in his existence mm. there will be rational arguments there will be cosmological arguments then there will be spiritual arguments so we have to start from the very beginning because what you're really asking is why do we believe why do we validate this existence mm. because there has to be a, a need and understanding for it if you can't understand it if you can't rationalize it then yeah, the answer might be we don't know. Is that the same as blind faith, or are you saying something no. slightly different? Uh, for which thing? About for God. not being able to sit by believing in God. It's uh, by not being able to physically see God, but there is a rationale and and yes. how we say. So people talk about oh, it's just <laughs> faith. I don't really believe it. What's blind faith, really? Okay, um, yeah, okay. I'll quickly talk about blind faith. Yes, there are certain things that we cannot see or that yeah. we do not know about, and those are the articles of of iman, articles of faith. God, the angels, uh, the decree, the knowledge of God on the books. Yeah. And when they, we say the books, we don't mean the actual physical books. Yeah. We say there's certain knowledge in the books that is of the future or unknown knowledge that God has given us. Mm. And we would only have to wait and see to, until it materializes. So this is faith in those things. Either that hasn't happened yet or we cannot physically see them. But there are avenues to understand their existence. There are avenues mm. to understand how they exist. So just in the same way, that scientists to this day cannot actually validate the existence of dark matter. We cannot do it. Mm. Although they believe that it equates for more than 95% of the, the, the matter of space. Mm. They, they say that. And how do they actually know that it exists from black holes? They know that because of black holes, we can judge that there is, that although there's nothing there, but there is something going on there. Sure. But how, how then do you relate that to someone who wakes mm. up in the morning yes. and says, I've had a really bad day. I mean, is there, look at that war over there. Look at yeah. this. Uh, I'm running out of money. There's, my son or daughter was born disabled. Where, yeah. I don't see God. This is why yeah. I think we have to start from the beginning. This is what I was saying. Yes. Because God comes actually, surprisingly, into the equation a lot later. Because what is a God? God is someone who's worthy of worship. Ilahun. Yeah, so because when we hear the first time God being mentioned in the Quran, it's the first instruction that God gives in the Quran, the first ever one, it mm. says, mm. That, oh, people, worship your Lord who created you. So a God is someone who is worshipped. And 
we can't even talk about that yet because we're not trying to talk about someone being worshipped. That's a far thing. For someone to be worthy of worship, they need to be great. They need to be really morally beautiful and they have to have all these attributes and they have to be something that you, you fall in love with. That's a really far-fetched concept for a lot of people. Right now, we're not even talking about that. So, Because step one is just simply arguing from a rational perspective. Forget if the God, this creator or whatever is nice or not. They might be the most vile, disgusting thing on, on the planet Earth. God forbid, that's not what Muslims believe. But is there even one? Is there even a creator? Forget calling him a God for now. Let's not even call him a God. Let's not even say we want to worship him. Let's not say we even want to love this thing. Is there even a creator? That's the first question that you need to ask. Because if you cannot first actually substantiate that question and you cannot answer this question, then question two, which is, okay, now we know there is a creator. Question two would be, is it a nice cre- Is it a nice person? Is it a, a, a bad being? Mm. That would be an irrelevant thing because you're talking about something which you haven't even substantiated yet. So before I even go to the next question, I have to accept that the, the Big Bang Theory, as you described, mm. God made that happen to create something that, that made Earth? Ultimately, even though the verse of the Quran doesn't directly link this, it's, it yeah. it jumps to the point, but it does say that. That we did this and then we created life. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that makes a, a lot of sense. So, before you can even understand or, or believe in something that there is something there, a spiritual being or something, you have to actually accept that they're worthy of worship, in a way, because you understand what they've done for you. Is that mm. right? Is that have, have it is? Of, but yeah. that's what the Quran's telling you now. Right. Okay. That's what the Quran explains. That's what yeah. Quran tell, tells you now. But yeah. th- th- what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say, yeah. is that y- you cannot understand that. Uh, until you've until you properly have gone through the steps of Irfan and this is something that Irfan? yeah so we're gonna, this is why I didn't want to cut the, the chase so Irfan means true understanding yeah, of God right that's what it means true understanding of God and that is a journey and a spiritual process so but for that you need to start from the beginning because for example just to give you a good idea Prophet Messiah peace be upon him has said this that you can pray as much as you want the Prophet who is the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim. You can pray as much as you want to a God or to God Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you do not actually have conviction in your heart that there even is a creator, then your prayers will amount to nothing. Mm. So therefore, first of all, you need to be able to convince yourself of, of the existence of a creator first. And then you can move on to the step two, three, four, five, six. So you have to be able to, to some degree, be able to talk to yourself about this. And it's not a very long process for those who are open to do it. So one of the biggest ways of doing it, which we're not going to go into now, is, is no, a rush. It's lovely you just said that, because what you described, and we've been through this whole explanation, people feel, God, that's not going to take me forever. Where am I in my life? But mm. the fact that you said it doesn't take long, is it's actually quite encouraging for many Hopefully. listeners. Yeah, mm. because look, you have the cosmological arguments, yeah. which on their own, okay, a lot of people will say design, element, look at look around you, how could it be that there hasn't been a creator? I mean, it's a, it's a good argument, okay? You have the stories like Imam Abu Hanifa's, who was actually invited to a, a debate with an atheist. Yeah. And uh, we don't know whether this, this story is true, by the way, in its, in its sense. It, it could just be a, a fable. But it nevertheless is a story that's told. But it explains kind of the, the point that I'm trying to get across, which is that he was divide, invited to a debate with an atheist and uh, he was very late to the debate. And when he got there, 
the atheists said to him, well, you're very late. That's not very nice. You know, you should have been on time. You're a Muslim. And he, he, he said to them, let me explain to you why I'm late. And basically, long story short, he told them that he'd basically tried to cross the river on the way and he couldn't do it. So when he jumped into the river, he almost drowned. And a boat or a tree randomly fell into the river, crafted itself into a boat. The leaves fell into the water, crafted themselves into a sail. He jumped, hopped on. And here he is right now, you know, whatever. He's here and he's, he's got here to the debate. Yeah. And the atheist looked at him like he's yeah. lost his mind. So then what are you talking about, mate? And uh, uh, so that's impossible. So Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah just said, well, yeah, that's absolutely the point. It is impossible. Yeah. You, you can't fathom or rationalize that a tree crafted itself into a boat without any sort of crafter. But you can happily accept and invite me to a debate to argue that this universe did exactly the same thing. Yeah. So that's his standpoint. Yeah. And yes, this is a good argument. But because of the kinds of things that we've just talked about, yeah. where you have scientific truths in the Quran, the Quran actually fortifies this claim. And what I mean by fortifies this claim is that you have a prophet of God, Muhammad peace be upon him, coming, saying that this is a message from God. This is a message from your creator. Mm. And he's telling you things that a, 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 a human being cannot know. And some of the things we've discussed. I can give you so many other examples where it says, um, It says that God says in the Quran, and what should I tell you about a tariq? And a tariq in Arabic means the one who knocks. And then it explains it. The one who knocks is the star that pierces. Now for an Arab back in that time, we're like, what, what on earth? What does that mean? So, and now what we know is this, that this is beautifully explained, what we know as a pulsar neutron star. A pulsar neutron star, today we can understand, is the most distinguishing feature of a pulsar neutron star is what? That when you put it, the way we, because they're so far away, we can't go and see them. So when you put them under a sound wave and we measure the, the pulsar sound of a star, we can tell what star it is. And a pulsar neutron star sounds like this. It has a knocking sound. And that's atariq. And you could say, all right, that was a, a bit lucky. All right. But, but the thing is, it isn't. Because an-najm al-thaqib means the star that pierces. And the second distinguishing feature of a pulsar neutron star is simply this. That a pulsar neutron star obviously spins. Mm. But it's so dense that it causes to, it causes, it pierces a hole into space-time matter. And it's the only star that can do that. And this is just, again, just one small thing that the Qur'an has mentioned thousands of years ago. So when we talk about the cosmological argument, it's good on its own. But when you fortify it with what the Qur'an has miraculously mentioned, in, not once, not twice, but hundreds of times it's mentioned things and got it right. Does that mean we've still got to discover so many more things what's in the Qur'an? We have been discovering so yeah. many more things. For example, we have in the Qur'an, I mean, I could talk about this for ages. I, I've got so much things. Please about do. This. this is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, for example, historical things as well. Mm. We have, uh, we mentioned uh, the theory of entropy, the theory of the big crunch, theory of the big bang. We have historical references as well. We have, for example, someone in the Quran being mentioned as, Ya Hamanu sarhan. And so we have this mention of Pharaoh who we know was the, the opponent of Moses alayhi salam, talking to a person called Haman, telling him what? Construct for me a, a tower out of clay and bake it on the location 
so that I can go and show people my prowess. Now, this single chapter has mm. so much historical significance, I'm sure that if any single person reads this, they'll be amazed at, at how the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, could have known this. It could only have been God. I can, I can, I can be sure of this. This is because, number one, Haman is not a name to be found in any scripture before this. How could the Quran just come up and conjure a name out of nowhere? Hmm. It's not possible. And I'll tell you why it's not possible. Because the, in, the, in the time of the 6th century, the, 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 the Arabs were not even able to read hieroglyphs. Hmm. Egyptian hieroglyphs were not legible hmm. for anyone at that time. And even if they were, it doesn't matter. Because that name was not discovered until 60, 70 years ago. Hmm. Why? A few researchers went, they found a few hieroglyphs in the tombs mm. and they found a name in there on the documents of Pharaoh. For the first time, they found a man who was named Aman. There was a difference. Haman is in the Quran. In the text, it said Aman. Okay. Mm. But what's more amazing about this? Because in the story of the Quran, the Pharaoh is telling Haman to do what? <laughs> Build me a tower. Yeah. And what does that document say? Haman was the chief construction worker of Pharaoh. <laughs> how on earth did the Prophet Muhammad put peace upon him? First of all, how did he know that? Yeah. Okay. Second, it tells, the Quran says, Okay, Sarhan. And it says that, go and create for me a, a tower out of clay, bake the stones on the location that they're going to be baked. And for a long time, it was believed that in ancient Egypt, when pyramids are constructed, that they would get these massive rocks, they would carve them with chisels and, and you know, shape shape. them into cubes. Mm. Okay? This is mm. what was believed. And then they would then get thousands of slaves mm. to with ropes to heave and cattle, heave them up. And then they were still a bit lost as to how they were able to actually elevate them and put them onto the places. And the Quran made a very strange claim, actually, because this wasn't something that was accepted up until around also about 100 years ago which was that this wasn't even the case. They never used to carve them. They never used to go to the mountains, bring boulders and carve them into, into squares. That's not what happened. They used to bake them. They used to take clay and they had molds and they would bake them like this. And they never elevated them because the Pharaoh, according to the Quran, instructed them not to bake them on the ground. He said, look, build the first floor and then stand on the first floor and then bake the second floor and then stand on the second floor and bake the third floor. Hmm. And this wasn't an even ex an accepted theory until 100 years ago. But the Quran has mentioned this. How on earth did it mm. know? So if I can bring you back to the original question that was asked, was, yes. it, was it, and which was about the existence of God yes. and does God exist? Yes. So I, I, is the point then you're making yeah. is that um, uh, you can find proofs of the existence of God well, in the in the prophets of the Quran? Is the, that the well, point you're kind making? of. Yeah. We, we, but like I said, you have to go step by step. Yeah. What we're talking about, is first you have the rational arguments. Okay, yeah. design argument. Okay, whatever argument you choose. You, you, you personally, rationally have some reasoning for it. It could be scientific. There's, there's loads out there. Then you have the Quran, which fortifies that claim. That yes, there is actually a being that's in the Quran that has this kind of knowledge. Okay, that's absolutely great. But, and then you have many other arguments. But the problem with this argument is, and all of these arguments is, is that it really only, and this is, what, this is not what I'm saying, by the way, this is what Hazrat Tahir Rahimahullah said. That all of this stuff, again, it can only really take you up to the absolute point that there probably is a God. 
Because wow, I mean, look at the arguments. I mean, look at look at this in the Quran. I mean, how yeah. how irrefutable is it? There probably should be a god, or there could be a god, and you can you you could even tell yourself that there is a god, but deep down you won't have that conviction. And this and Hazrat, so you can come come up with a with a hypothesis, a very strong hypothesis that that a god exists, and therefore you need to find God now. And then well, is that the first sta- stage of Irfan? Uh, no, or, or knowledge that you're saying? Yes. So. Ilmul Yaqeen, which is what you're kind of talking about, is knowledge of things. So knowledge of a God. Yeah. You have knowledge of certain things. You've heard this, you've heard that, but that's kind of all you know. And it hasn't sufficiently really answered everything for you because it's only the first stage. And you still have a lot of questions. This is where a lot of people might actually be stuck at because they have this idea that rationally it might make sense, but then like Hanif actually mentioned earlier, there's a lot of suffering going on. Mm. And, and some people might not even just be talking about the suffering. There might be many other reasons as well where they just quite can't quite grasp yeah. the concept of God. So what's the tipping? How do you tip? Exactly. That? So this is why I said mm. it's important to go step by step because if you haven't first resolved everything we've just discussed, mm. you first need to go down this avenue. At least, at least do this stuff. And like I said, this process hopefully shouldn't take too long if someone's trying to do it genuinely. Yeah. They really want to just at least look at the rational side. Do it. Take some time with it and get to that point. But yeah, then you will hit a wall. You have still a lot of questions. It's, it's a journey. You then have to get to the point which we call in spiritual philosophy, Ainul Yaqeen, where you get to a point where you have observed certain things in your life. Where you're like, okay, no, that definitely doesn't... That Was that a coincidence or was it something that made that Something's happen? going yeah, on here. Yeah. So this yeah. this is where, what we, what we hear about in the Quran is what you've heard of here, say this, that. And then once you start studying and you start observing things and things happen in front of you or they happen to you, then you question things in a different way. And if you can overcome those obstacles, that becomes Ainul Yaqeen. Okay, you've done it. You've been there. You've really solidified and fortified your claim. So for that, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, who is uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad alayhi salam, has spoke about your personal struggle. This goes beyond rationale. This goes beyond intellect. And this is where you have to spiritually struggle. So what does Islam say about this? Because the concept of God isn't just scientific. And this is why I said it in the beginning. It's not just about science. Oh, let me explain to you God, how God's quantum dynamics works. Because to be honest with you, the Quran doesn't do that. The Quran doesn't go into the depths of how exactly minutely God works. Why? Because if you know how God works, you can become a God. You have that intellectual mm. capacity to do it. You, humans cannot do that. Yeah. This is what we're saying. The Quran says, That every single time you truly approach God, you will see something completely new. As if you'd never even seen him before. So... Actually, the human faculty to see, really comprehend God completely is, is is impossible to the point that Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, yeah, yeah. he actually requested hmm. that I want to see God. I want to see you. Obviously, with a genuine love that he had for his his Lord, hmm. and God said to him, "You you cannot do it. No. You cannot." But he was his servant, and he had his mercy. He said, "Okay, if you want to see a bit of me, let's. I'll show you." And uh, you know he. He showed him a bit of a vision mm. And that was that little enough That percentage of that vision was enough To, to shake, him up, shake him up a little bit mm. So what we're trying to say is Is that just rationale Intellect and science Alone isn't what the Quran is trying To push us towards yeah. Because that's a dead end okay. That is a dead end It's a beginning but it's just going to hit a wall Almost let's say straight away 
So that's ilmul yakin only. That's a very low kind of basic starting point. And, and, and would um, sort of a, an example for a layperson be um, a similar example in our, in our own life? So you love somebody and then you you try and find ways, you struggle to <clears throat> to find that person and you struggle to get their love back. Is is Would that be a sort of a rough analogy? Of, of you what could you're kind to of say? Somewhat, yeah. somewhat say something like right. that. Right. Yeah. So, so essentially you're saying, so the first step really is that you you hypothesize and you think about it and you think rationally and you reflect, which is something which Quran repeatedly talks about. And then you, you work towards um, finding um, that particular entity so um and, and yeah so you're going to explain the uh, the yeah, third because this, because we're talking about the concept yeah. of god in islam like i said this is just the basic fundamental but but the the concept that i'm about to explain now is very important because if you you need to start it off right mm-hmm. and this is what i mean and everybody, i think everybody knows what it kind of is everybody knows it's all about spirituality it's all about worship it's all about trying to follow the quran and do what god tells you to do but there are three important things that, that the founder of the, the, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has said. That if you don't actually adopt these three things, it's going to be a very difficult journey. Which is first and foremost, that you have to have a pure heart. And this is what I said. <clears throat> if you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, but deep down in your heart, you're praying and at the same time you're thinking to yourself, man, God's evil, man. God's messed up, man. I don't even know why I'm praying to this guy, but you're still praying to him, okay? Or you, you don't, might not say that to your head, but your subconscious somewhere deep in your heart, you have this kind of enmity or, yeah. or something in your heart. Yeah. First, you need to resolve that. You need to figure that out because the Prophet has said that until you don't fix that, God will not approach that because you have to approach God pure. And, it's, and, and the way it was described, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it to really shortly say it. If you go to a garden and you plant an apple seed and you wait your entire life for a mango tree to grow, it's not going to happen. So the way the Prophet was trying to explain it is that if, you're, if your prayers are seeds and you're trying to plant a pure seed, it will give pure results. If you're trying to plant a seed and it's already rotten and it's destroyed, you can wait your whole life. It's not going to give you the results that you, you are waiting and hoping for. So questions like, what you were saying mm. first need to be resolved and they are the rationale questions the logical questions why is there suffering for example we can quickly tackle this as well yeah. yes, because, it's, because it is important why is, it, why is there cancer why is there yeah. all these diseases why the wars yes so for example so there are lots of things which we can discuss we've got about 10 minutes oh before mm. I do actually again um, I think in this book Revelation Rationality Knowledge and Truth yeah. Rizal has also dis- given a whole chapter to the topic of suffering uh, it's a lengthy chapter. Mm. I don't know how long it is, but it tackles the kind of various contexts of suffering mm. from an evolutional side, from a cultural perspective, from a human perspective and from a biological perspective. And they can't, can't we, I don't think we can all really approach all of them today. But one of the simplest things that I can tell people right now uh, to kind of understand is this, is that the Quran says, and first of all, we're talking about this right now, is because once you can resolve this in your heart, you are in a position to explore stage two, which is ilmul yakin. You can then actually pray without having resentment in your heart and, and having a kind of let's start afresh. Let's let's do this properly kind of kind of approach. So fa which means that God Almighty has said that I have told given human beings and the knowledge of right and wrong. Choice. 
which is first and foremost that they have an inherent idea of, of roughly what is right and what is wrong. It, it gives you a tick if you're doing something wrong and it gives you a tick if you're doing something right. <clears throat> and then the Prophet Muhammad was also said <clears throat> that we have created a newborn child on uh, on a pure nature. That every child is born innocent. Every child is born knowing what is true, yeah. what is right. <clears throat> it is later that a parent then makes that child a Christian, Muslim, pagan, this, 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 that, whatever, far right, far left, whatever you want to do. Okay. So when we know, first of all, that actually we actually have a free will. And this is something which is important to know because this distinguishes us from other creations. Yeah. Uh, not just other cattle and other things, but other creations that we may not even know of. We have a distinguishing factor that we have the freedom to do what we want. And that is called free will. Uh, but there comes with this a little bit of a cost. And what is that cost? And this is what, something that Mirza Tahir Ahmed explains. He said that when you give someone free will, and what free will really means is that God is saying that I'm going to give them the ability to do what they want and I'm not going to force them otherwise. This is what free will is. Because with the angels, it's not the case. The angels can't say, I'm going to wake up one hour later today. The angels can't say, I'm going to... I'm gonna be lazy today. I'm yeah. not. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work harder. I'm not gonna work harder. They don't have that choice. They're, it's also like animals. They can only behave the way God's created them. That they've been geared to do. Yeah. Right. They're not gonna wake up today and start a business. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've been given that free will to think and to act, and God has given us free hand to do that. He's already declared that. Declared that, and He's given a reason for that as well. I'll quickly say it, but it's not the main part of the topic. Um, I wanted people to really experience my beauty and all of my luxury. So therefore I created Adam. But the person who can truly experience God needs to have free will. Because they need to be able to do things willingly. Yeah. For And I'll tell you why. Because God is forgiving, he's merciful, he's this, he's that. He can't be forgiving if someone doesn't mess up. He can't punish if someone doesn't That's mess right. up. He can't love someone if someone doesn't love him. Yeah. And all of this stuff, you can't love someone by force. So therefore, whatever that thing is that he created to experience him has to have the free will. You can't just force someone to love you. It's not actually love. Yeah. You can't force someone to mess up. They didn't mess up. And when they and when they find that, and they were, say, a really bad individual, yeah. but when they find it, they have a springboard that takes them better than people well, who have yeah. got experience yeah. the bad to get them to the good Absolute, in a way absolutely yeah? so this is essentially why God has put placed yeah. free will here mm, yes okay. but there is another reason behind it you mm. see the thing is that free will exists okay but it creates suffering because it gives us choice to do not only right and wrong but it gives us the choice to not do as good as we could and that's why you also have inequality in society as well it might not be it might not be consciously doing something wrong you might not have worked as hard you might not have studied as hard someone might have done better than you in life and this isn't them consciously trying to hurt you. It's just what it was because they had the free will. And sometimes this isn't even a personal thing. C civilizations can end up doing better than others. And this is because there is always free will. And choice. But the thing is, this is important. Because if we remove free will, we do remove suffering actually to some degree. Because if you remove free will, I can't harm you. I can't slap you in the face. Mm. I can't plant, I can't wage a war against you either. Okay, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I'm not saying all of it, but a, a large portion of suffering can go, in a day, yeah. because we don't have the choice to do evil. Like the angels cannot do it; they cannot mm -hmm. create it. 
But what happens is that we lose our identity. You're no longer Hanif. I'm no longer Kamar. He's no longer Daniel. Because we're exactly the same. Nothing differentiates us anymore. We're like the cattle. We're like the cows. We're like the sheep. We're like whatever. Because we're not. We're no longer in a faculty when we can choose to do something which differentiates us than between other people. So this is simply from one standpoint, because we only have like five minutes. From one standpoint, Mr. Tahir Ahmed rahimahullah, has said that there is, a, a, of course, a lot of suffering, a lot of man-made suffering as well hmm. that is there. But the reason behind that is actually a lot. the reason that because free will is there. Yeah. But that free will is there for a purpose. Now, what does God say? If this was a case where God put free will here, which we know is going to cause problems, and then God says, yep, all right, whatever, not my problem, that would actually be very, very unfair and very unjust. But what God hasn't actually said that, and Mirza Tahir Rahimahullah has actually said that what we understand in Islam is that, of course, this world is very short-lived and that the, the eternal abode is, is what's to come. Mm-hmm. And what God is actually saying is that the suffering that anybody suffers here will be rewarded either or expiated in the hereafter. And anybody who does any good will be rewarded for that. And anybody who does any bad will certainly be punished for it as well. And if that was not, if this systematic framework was not to exist, this would be an entirely unfair system. Does it, does it also help our civilization improve? The minds? Not the mind, to develop new things. So, for example, you hurt your arm, you broke it really badly. Mm. Where did it broken? You don't know. But well, they, we developed an X-ray machine to like, see. Like I said, Mirza Tahrimullah has actually explored this from a very different. He didn't look at this from a unilateral approach. Right, okay. For example, he's even explored um, uh, diseases and how they got here, and why is that even fair? Yeah. That I think some of you mentioned that children have diseases and other things like this, which isn't even um, you would say something that we may have played a part in necessarily. But so, does that drive us as a well, race to fix the final so, so solution? So Mr. Tahir Allah in his book, I don't have the citations in front of me. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know we were going to talk about this today. But scientifically has looked into this, yeah. generationally looked into this from two perspectives. Number yeah. one, that yes, there are diseases that exist and over time they have proven to fortify the human gene. What does this mean? That not over a week or over a year, or over 10 years, but over thousands of years, they have extremely fortified the human gene to the point that humans that were dying thousands yeah. of years ago of a certain thing are completely oblivious to that thing today. We don't care about a common cold. Yeah. I we think the other, prob- the other argument um, uh, that Mr. Thayram has, Mr. Thayram has made, and I think which uh, uh, Brother Hanif, you were alluding to, is the argument that... Um, Suffering and progress are interlinked, yeah. that you cannot yeah. have progress yes. without having suffering. Absolutely. And a very good Absolutely. example that comes to my mind immediately, because we, we've just got a minute left, so we just to uh, sort of sum, it, sum discussion up, uh, is the example of the COVID vaccine, uh, which is uh, which uh, the inventors of which are now getting Nobel Prize because they discovered a new technique to yes. actually make vaccines which I'm, are going to help I, uh, with other diseases as well. I, so um, I get it. I completely agree. But we, because we've only got a minute, we shouldn't also always fall into the pitfalls of this. Because, for example, when we had colonialism in British India, <clears throat> a lot of time there was a, a, a starvation problem, a, a serious hyper, hyperglycemic starvation problem, which has left us a lot of Asian people, BAME people, with uh, insulin problems, diabetes mm. and things like this. Mm. This could have actually been avoided if human history had made the right choices. So it isn't Correct. always the fact that illnesses are only around because God chose to do so. For example, starvation and poverty right now could be alleviated uh, in the world quite easily. 
Excellent. Well, we don't have the cho- we made the choice. Absolutely. We must bring this program to an end and this uh, this very enlightening and absolutely riveting discussion to an end as well. Thank you very much Imam uh, Kamar for for this. I hope we answered the question about the existence of God. Thank you very much. Six o'clock news is uh, next. I must thank uh, uh, my brother, brother Hanif as well for joining us today. Thank you for all the listeners uh, for joining us. Um, we will be back next Friday. Until then, assalamu